0: This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, June 26, 2021. Dornall, how was your week?
1: Hey, man. It's been a good week. What can I say? Uh, We're almost all the way through June, and uh, things are getting crazy here in the Pacific Northwest. Had you heard? I think you had. We are in the middle of a heat wave.
0: I I feel like playing that song, but I... uh... I don't have rights to it. And I think YouTube, uh, I think they actually execute, you know, if you uh, play a song, you don't have rights.
1: Yeah. Fair use doesn't mean anything in the day and age of instant DCMA takedowns. But yeah, the whole Northwest is baking under the sun. Now for a guy like you, you might think that hundred degrees of dry heat is normal for the residents of places like Utah or maybe Arizona, but this, these are historic highs going on. It's going to be even worse tomorrow over hundred and Monday. So the, uh, the Northwest is going to be very tense for the next couple of days. And one thing that we don't have much of is air conditioning. Uh, It's not commonplace in residential homes the way it is there. So cross your fingers, say your prayers, whatever you do, uh, that uh, we don't lose a bunch of people to heat stroke. I am trying to keep cool inside the uh, home, and I think I'm going to disappear after the show to a building with air conditioning, preferably one that serves me barbecue chicken. That sounds like a nifty combo. Yeah. My week's been good. Um, I just realized, it sort of hit me, that we're almost totally open as far as businesses go, so I can go to those places with air conditioning and barbecue chicken. Uh, so, uh, I took a date to the movies this week, so we'll be talking about that later on the show. But, uh, Cinemas are open, and this is both good and bad.
0: Nobody else is there.
1: You can go see a movie with two other people in the, in the theater. Get basically the whole place to yourself. What else is going on? Oh, I want to say hello to the chat. It's part of our technical difficulties today, and you know, my apologies for get my apologies for getting a late start. Uh, is that uh, Daddy Warping's unable to reach chat today. So, um, say what's up to Bradford Walker, Matthew Martin, Emmett Fitzhugh. Hello, Jackson Anderson. Hello, uh, Mega Buster Shepherd. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, it says it's pretty muggy down here in the South as well. Yeah, that's uh, that's been my experience. Uh, I haven't lived much down South, but uh, also the Northeast. I used to live in the Northeast. I grew up there. And uh, yeah, I mean, the guy who says, yeah, but it's a dry heat, he is being a jerk, but it's true. Um, I, I would take uh, 100 degrees dry over 91 at... humidity every season, if I could. It's fantastic. Uh, Oh, I did want to mention, um, shout out to Bradford Walker in chat. Uh, I did catch up with his blog this week, uh, bradfordseawalker.blogspot.com. I recommend it uh, this week. He's doing a deep dive on his experience with Final Fantasy XIV, known as A Realm Reborn. Um, do you remember the story of this MMO, Daddy Warpig? No. Well, I'll give you the short version. It was the second Final Fantasy MMO created. The first one was called Final Fantasy XI. And the initial release was so bad... After a few months of of launch, they it was chock full of bugs and unpleasant play experiences and everything. It was quite simply a bad game. They actually had the stones, Square Enix, to shut the game down and fire everyone involved. <laughs> and the the uh, developer ended up sending you know this long apology you know, open letter to the fans and everything apologizing for the terrible game they made. He's like, yeah, you know, some things just, you know, we, we didn't do a good job and, and, you know, we made a lot of mistakes and we didn't make something that anyway, long story short, they actually went back and rebooted it as regular MMO. It's been going for years. And uh, if I were the type of person who was looking for an MMO, you know, as a nice little time sink to hang out uh, with people online and shoot dragons I would take a look at it but uh, go ahead and read his review for um, Yeah, yeah, final thing is 11 is still online. That's right. Uh, there a lot of MMOs still have that sort of core group of people that just barely keep it profitable enough to be online. Yeah, so I recommend that. Do you know I- Go ahead.
0: I'm sorry. I'm angry, and I was about to go off on a rant, but I want you to finish first.
1: <laughs> I I think I was finished. That's about all I have going on this week. Oh, uh, crazy news in uh, Geek World! Uh, last week, the Windows 11 build was leaked. Microsoft Windows 11, and uh, so this week that we had their uh, we had the release event. And so that's uh that is official windows eleven it, it, it's real
0: because yeah, the cons- consensus in chat when we first talked about it uh on our e three show was no, no, that's not real. it was just uh it was just a prank uh or an internet hoax no it's it's really real. it really was announced on the official blog, and it's really coming so you know, hey, there's something to look for. <laughs> uh.
1: Well, I, and I, I sort of been out of the loop at work. I, I haven't been following internal announcements. And uh, when when you work from home on your lap company laptop, it's not practical to try out the latest version of Windows. When I first joined uh, the company in 2012, I got to jump in and try Windows 8 before it was released. Um, and I, I remember now my manager was like, so what do you think? I'm like, it's just another version of Windows, but the average user is going to hate it. They're going to hate it. <laughs> yeah I don't I, I, I don't know uh, what what it is besides uh there's obviously a UI update and uh, it's uh, if you've seen the screenshots of the leaked uh, builds it it's got a lot more of a Apple or iPad vibe you know the uh, it looks like the taskbars centered its icons along the bottom that sort of thing
0: okay what's the deal with that what do you mean? Why would they do that?
1: You're asking the wrong guy. Uh, I think my How do you think
0: to look like the doc? And I use Macs. I use Apple, but I don't particularly like the doc.
1: We'll see the final implementation, but I think part of it is, and now this is just me. Um, my conjecture or my my perception of the industry is that people who do ui and stuff like that they they really go by instinct and they sort of follow what works i i got the impression that there's not a lot of people that truly can innovate or think of good design
0: not for a long time Not since – and I am an Apple user. I'm not an Apple guy in the sense that I'm a person who, you know, oh, you just blindly buy Apple. You buy everything they make. I'm like, no. I do own a lot of Apple products, um, but because they're genuinely the best products for me. And if they're not the best products for you, don't buy them. Don't allow yourself to be browbeat by relatives or friends or the Internet or, you know, ads. Don't allow yourself to be browbeat by uh, anyone into buying Apple or Windows uh, or, uh, you know, Intel or AMD or uh, Android or Oh, who was it? A Samsung or whatever. Buy what is best for you that suits your use case. My mom bought a Mac. And she loved it. And it worked really, really well for her. And she browbeat my dad into buying a Mac. And he hated it. It did not work well for what he needed to do. And so the next computer he bought was a PC, and that was good for him. Um, So just buy what you need. Yeah. And what I need are buying large Apple products.
1: I think the, uh, the big companies also hit on something really big. Along those lines, in the past 10 years, I, I honestly about 10 years ago, is that everybody created their own ecosystem, maybe older than, maybe longer than 10 years ago. And not only are you an Apple user, but you use the Apple ecosystem because, as you say, it works for you, right? Yeah. And there's a non negligible cost in using another services infrastructure uh you 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 use gmail for example but you don't necessarily use their cloud storage and everything else like that like you you just kind of have a gmail account and most of your stuff is on apple you can do the same thing with microsoft Uh, microsoft has similar services to OneDrive and apple itunes and whatever right Uh, i think uh i think these companies are still trying to get people locked into their one ecosystem. Microsoft infamously does that in enterprise software. I think
0: Microsoft thinks it's still the 1990s, like it's still 1996, and they're still in
1: head-to-head competition with Apple. I don't know about that. what I, the impression that I got for the past few years, especially since um, Satya Nadella took over as CEO, is that they recognized that the desktop PC wasn't necessarily going to be the way to go anymore. And what I think happened last year was COVID and the work from home. Um, revolution and all it, it turned everything back upside down where we thought that mobile this and everything and, and people weren't going to buy PCs and everywhere to All of a sudden, oh, you know, 90% of office work can be done from home. And so the personal computer's back. Uh, so that's the impression that I got. Although I, I I don't know. I mean, with regards to the Apple interface, I don't. Yeah, I don't know why they'd want to ape that. Uh, most people use a widescreen monitor. I I usually do, and when I'm on a widescreen monitor, I'm one of those weird guys. I actually dock the taskbar to the left or the right, so I've got more vertical screen space. Um,
0: See, I think I think Windows is strongest when it offers a real alternative in its user design to the Mac when it doesn't try to mimic the Mac, unless it's a really particularly good idea. And there are things that Apple has taken from Windows, and there are things that Windows has taken from Apple. And I'm not trying to – I'm absolutely not trying to point fingers at Windows and say, oh, you guys are all just copycats, because obviously they're not. I'm absolutely not saying that, um, but I do think Microsoft should be invested in being a bold and obvious choice, so that okay, if you want a, you know, an Intel. PC or laptop, or you want a AMD PC or laptop, and you get Windows, it is a different operating system than the Mac, it looks differently, it works differently, and you get a real choice. It's not just kind of like the Mac OS, but with these small differences.
1: Yeah. I think, I think there's merit to that. I wouldn't, I I don't understand the trend chasing. Um, windows does great for what you want a PC to do. And, and they have no need to try to ape someone else's idea or design or something like that. Just import what works. Um, I think, I think this is all just, I mean, I don't think this is the core of what actually is gonna keep Microsoft going, right? Um, Microsoft's gonna continue to be the, you wanna run a productive business? We've got everything for you, right? You want to get PCs for your work-at-home employees or you want your work-at-home employees to you know, be able to bring their own hardware, right? Guess what? You're still using Exchange. You're still using Microsoft 365. Bring Windows. You know, Windows 11 is going to be the best way to do that. Keep working from home because you're on the Microsoft stack everywhere. I think that's the route that's actually gonna they're actually going to take. Um, And because of the way that more of more of these products are working on each other's platforms, that it's going to be easier. Uh, for people to bring their own, like, yeah, well, yeah, we use exchange and this and that, but we use Slack for meetings or whatever. But I think that's the angle that they're going to take. Um, which is fine. I think that's the Microsoft way.
0: I mean, because they're
1: Microsoft,
0: right? They don't have to chase trends set by Apple. Um They just have to be themselves. Uh, and there they may no longer yeah. be number one in every market. And there was a time, when Microsoft was number one in almost every market. Um, if they chose to enter a product space, a particular market, then they could get up to be number one. And the only reason why they weren't number one, they call it a segment, right? A product segment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The only reason they weren't number one in every product segment was if they had just chosen not to compete in that segment. They didn't have an, uh, an app uh, that they were selling in that segment. But as soon as they did choose to compete, they got to be number one pretty quickly. And that wasn't always the case there was a time when ms word lost to say word perfect um but sooner or later ms word rolled up to the top and pretty much stayed there um and so They did not become number one in the mobile phone space. And I know they felt like that hurt them a lot because it seemed like mobile was forever and ever going to be the leading space. And they really needed to uh, have their mobile OS. What was that called, their mobile OS?
1: Oh, I forgot what the old one was. I mean, we just called it Windows Mobile Windows Mobile, yeah. Okay. Um,
0: and they really, really wanted Windows Mobile to become what Android eventually became. Um, but, and they went to big lengths to try and make Windows Mobile the thing because they backtracked its UI through the Xbox and eventually into Windows itself. It had a big effect on Windows. Uh, the square tiles and things like that, they uh, they pulled it through. Um, but they didn't take the lead there the way they had in all the other spaces, um, all the other market segments. in um, I don't think Microsoft is a. I don't know. I am I, just analyzing their actions way from the outside, and it seems like. It seems like their core business isn't Windows anymore. It seems like their core business is office.
1: Has been for a long time. Okay, uh, and in particular, the it's it's plain in the earnings reports and everything. The office and cloud businesses are the big money makers.
0: Um. So I I don't think that I Microsoft is dying. I don't think it's going anywhere. I don't. Uh, I don't think there's any problems. I think that, I think that the competitive, when you're on top of a market clearly, um, there are things you can do to stay on top. Like Facebook has a dedicated team whose only job it is to look at all the competitors in the uh, in the social media space and to copy every new feature they come up with. That's why their interface is dog crap. Why it's just so overfull with everything in the kitchen sink is because they never say no to anything. Facebook does not know how to say no to a feature because they think that staying ahead of the game, they think that being number one means copying every feature that everybody else has. And as long as it's on a bullet list, it doesn't matter how usable it is for people. It doesn't matter how, uh, how pleasant it is for people uh, or whether it even does what they want. They can just copy it, and they will stay number one forever. Um, I do not believe this is the case, and I think that history bears that out, and history will bear that out. But then again, it kind of doesn't matter because they will have been on top for so long that it will—the point will almost have been moot. That someone could come along and say, "Yeah, yeah, Daddy War Pig, you you were technically right. Here's your technically right award." Facebook says, "Oh, you were technically right, but we made literally, you know, almost a trillion dollars on Facebook." Or at this point, they have literally made multiple trillions of dollars, of the, or excuse me, hundreds of billions of dollars. So not trillions, hundreds of billions of dollars. So it's not like, yes, I'm technically right, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) Just to denigrate my own point. But still, it seems like Microsoft is in that state where they don't necessarily have a vision of where things are going with Windows. They don't necessarily have a plan. What they have is... kind of just c- copy what other people are doing and what they need is a plan. What they need is someone with vision on leading windows who can say, okay, here's what we need to do to be better at windows. Here's what we need to do to build a better windows. Here's what the people are complaining about and what we can do to fix that. Um and, and here's what we need to do to fix that while maintaining backwards compatibility to, you know, programs that were written by businesses in the late 90s that we want to keep supporting even though they're no longer supported. But, uh, you know, 20% of Defense Department computers run this program and we have to keep supporting it or they might no longer run Windows. I don't
1: know. Yeah, you make you make good points. Um, if there's a if there's a purpose or a philosophy, uh, it's not self-evident. Um, what do you think about Game Pass? Megabuster Buster Shepherd says he likes the integration of Game Pass with Windows Ten. I think that's uh, alongside Office and Cloud. I think that's one of the things that Microsoft is continuing to work pretty well in their end. But what's your experience?
0: Uh, I got Ultimate Game Pass with my Xbox subscription. Uh, so, yeah, I've played a, a bunch of the free games. The only real free game I've really, really enjoyed was Open Worlds, um, which is the Obsidian role playing game. Um, it's kind of like Fallout, but instead of wandering around the capital wasteland or, uh, you know, California, you're wandering around this particular solar system. Open worlds, by the way, if you're a if you're a fan of that, they make a big appearance. Ooh, I am telling you, they make a big appearance in Loki episode three. Um. It is just like Open Worlds. And I don't want to spoil stuff.
1: Yeah, hey, no spoils.
0: It's hilarious and it's awesome. Because I'm watching it and I'm like, oh my God, this is just like Open Worlds. Just like it.
1: Hey, we should talk about that uh, when we talk about Loki. Are we going to wait for the all the uh, episodes to complete?
0: I was planning on it. I don't know if this is a six or eight episode season.
1: Oh, that's Um, not too long. Hopefully uh, we won't won't all have died of heat stroke before then. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I won't. (laughs) Um, Shall we move on? Let's talk about the uh, new old movies that, didn't come out last year that came out this year.
0: Um, Or or we could just stay in programming for a second since we're on the topic of the game pass. I could hit hit the games this week and uh, ran about that just for a little bit.
1: Let's hear it. That's so right. Like, yeah, I forgot you had mentioned that you finished some games.
0: Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about all these mobile games I was playing, or had played. There was four of them. Um, well, last week I just got Jones for a role-playing game for a computer RPG. Right now, um, I don't have access to my computer. I don't have access to my Xbox either. All I've got are iPad, iPhone. And so I'm stuck with mobile gaming. And I've never been impressed with mobile gaming. Um, My first iPhone was the 3GS, which is the third model they released. Um, Which was pretty late when i bought it cause they've already released two models and so it'd been out for two years but um now it seems like oh dude you're old school you know it came out in 2007 2021 we've had 14 years of iphones 14 generations of iphones and so you know, I was there since generation three. That's That makes me an old man in the iPhone world. Um, and I want to assure you folks that owning a 3GS iPhone does not make me an old man. All the white in my beard is what makes me an old man. Um, oh, and the fact that apparently the fact that my first video game I ever played was Pong, apparently that makes me an old man too. Ancient. Ancient ancient of days is what they call it um so i just got this jones for an rpg and i'm stuck on mobile gaming that's no, fine because uh, mobile gaming also includes all the baldur's gates ice windale neverwinter nights and all the dlc for all those plus planescape torment I'm kind of working my way out to playing all those because other than Neverwinter Nights, I've never played any of them. But I played the hell out of Neverwinter Nights, and I really liked that game. Although Baldur's Gate had it all over Neverwinter Nights because they let you have an adventuring party, and Neverwinter Nights just had you and a companion, which does not work in D&D. need an adventuring party in D&D. So, what I got the hankering for in the middle of last week was a zombie apocalypse role-playing game. That is, you know, you could think of it as D&D, but instead you're in a zombie apocalypse. So, you would search buildings and pick up new firearms, you know, upgrade your pistol for a shotgun or for a submachine gun or whatever role-playing game zombies that's what i wanted i wanted to shoot zombies and raid gas stations for the last package of twinkies in the world and we were talking about these cheap scammy mobile games Where, you know, they advertised it as being a zombie role-playing game. But it wasn't. They lied about it. And all it was was a money sink. A mobile gaming money sink. Which I deliberately played. Because I was playing four of them. And one of them was actually really literally free. Because they didn't charge money. And that was the Star Trek one. So... I turned around and started scouring the store for zombie RPGs, which is when I realized that these mechanics of money-grubbing, scammy, scumbag mechanics... Not on corrupted individual businesses to where every game they made became scummy, money grubbing mobile whorehouses. Um or mobile gaming whorehouses, just to be clear. Um but They have corrupted the industry to where everyone, when they make mobile games, they make these scammy scumbag games with the exact same mechanics as every other scummy scumbag mobile game. And even respectable PC gaming companies... When they go to mobile, they make these scummy games, and it is almost impossible to find on mobile any game that isn't one of these games. I mean, I literally sat down for hours of my time to search for a zombie RPG that wasn't one of these games, And in searching for it, I found literally 10 to 11 games that were these scummy, money-grubbing mobile games. And I found one zombie RPG. One. And these... Mobile games have driven out all innovation in game design of coming up with new mechanics or exploring new things. They have driven out uh, even you could make interesting mechanics given what's in these games. If you took out the pay... All these games have some kind of hurry-up mechanic, whether it's gold or jewels or whatever. The hurry-up mechanic lets you hurry up training of soldiers, or lets you hurry up building of buildings, or lets you hurry up research. Um, And it's usually a currency that you can buy directly with real-world money. And it's usually a currency that they claim you can earn completing missions or whatever, but you don't ever earn it very much and you don't ever earn it at all fast. You always need about 10 times as much as you're earning in order to advance anywhere in the game because you hit that level 10 wall that they all seem to have and it's all around level 10 once all the tutorials get done. In that level 10 wall, um, everything starts stops being a maximum of like 10 minutes and starts being like an hour and a half to two hours or more. Then in your level 12, level 13 wall, it goes up to a day, 15 hours. Um, so you're stuck unless you play unless you pay to get some of their hurry- up mechanics so that's how they designed the game and that's how all of them design the game they just copy these mechanics well there are interesting things that you could do with the hurry- up mechanic let's say you left it alone Let's say you decided that this tedious waiting for time was for you. You didn't have microtransactions in the game. And frankly, folks, when you're charging 90, $99 for a pile of jewels to use as a hurry-up mechanic in the game, I don't think you can call that a microtransaction anymore. That's $99. That's pretty macro, Okay. That's not a micro transaction. Uh. Let's just assume that you leave this hurry-up mechanic in place, but that you don't have any real-world money spend to buy it, that you have to earn it in-game, and that the standard mechanics don't cut it, that they're really slow, And they're really slow by design. So now we have to come up with a brand new core mechanic of the game to let players earn this. So now we have to be creative. Now as game designers, we have to think with our brain and come up with a way to let players earn it. That's not necessarily obvious. We have to actually experiment and create and put something in the game that we don't know if it's going to work or not. We don't know if players are going to be able, uh, are going to like it or not. We don't we don't know anything. We're going to have to advance the boundaries of game design. So one of the things I thought up that was just a suggestion. Is each battle you get into, um, there is XP to advance your characters or there's the hurry up mechanic. And you earn some of both, but then there's a slider and you can earn more XP or you can earn more of the hurry up points. And it's your choice. So you can choose to have more hurry up to make your base strong or make your base advance faster. Or you can choose to upgrade your characters faster. Or maybe the XP is also be able to spend on weapons and armor um, in one way. Uh, Whereas the hurry-up mechanic lets you hurry up your research, which strengthens them in another way. So there's a whole resource management feature that that brings in. Now, I'm not saying that's, you know, absolutely the way you want to do it. I'm just saying that's one mechanic I thought of this week all on my own. That's an innovation that nobody, none of these game companies have come up with because they're too busy trying to get you to buy the hurry up mechanic and spend real world money. They're too busy driving you to that point to bother innovating. Um, There's some other ones I thought of. If you... I was playing Stellaris. I don't know if any of uh, any of you play Stellaris on the PC. On the PC, supposedly it's a great and fun game, and the developer is uh, who is Paradox Interactive is uh, awesome and and a great guy and a good citizen. And on the uh, mobile gaming, Stellaris is a money grubbing scumbag uh, mobile gaming nightmare. so screw those guys. Um, You see, good gaming companies go bad when they get to mobile because they want a piece of that money, money, grub, money pie. Um, But I was thinking that maybe you could have mechanics built in where you would have um, special missions where if you went out and performed these special missions. If you succeed especially well at any given mission, sorry, just had a new idea. It's where you go out and do missions, because they give you missions to do certain things, mine so many minerals or whatever. You could have actual quests where you have to send a fleet off out in the galaxy far from your home base. And so you've invested all your resources into building up this fleet, building up your leader with XP. Um, You send them out out past your station so you can't repair them. You can't add new uh, ships to them. And so they're out beyond support, but they go out and do this series of missions. And if you succeed really well you earn some GoFast currency. That's kind of cool. That would be an interesting thing to add to the game. And it would be another way to innovate on go-fast mechanics. There are two ideas that would be fun to add to the game that would introduce new strategic elements for players to learn and balance and work with Other than just driving them to spend $99 on go-fast mechanics. I'm pissed. And like we were talking about last night, I get why they do it. I understand that cheap and easy money from whales is a powerful incentive. I just am angry because... Just because you can make some money doing scumbaggy things doesn't mean you ought to make money doing scumbaggy things. Um, and you know what? Uh, me and John were discussing this last night. And one of the things I said was, it's given me a newfound respect for sleazy casinos. <laughs> I literally have more respect for casinos because casinos are sleazy places where the odds are all against you. And most of the time, you're going to lose your lose whatever money you had set aside. Whatever money is your own willpower stopping you at loss, you go in with the budget, you say, okay, I can afford to lose $100. bucks. it will be $100 in entertainment or $50, $10, $1,000, whatever you can afford to lose. And that'll be your entertainment. And once you've lost that, you walk away from the table. You know what you're getting with casinos. You know that someone may win big, but it almost certainly isn't going to be you. You know when you walk into a casino, you're almost certainly going to lose your shirt. But all of these games lie to you. They lie to you in, in the description of the game, in the store. They lie to you. In the ads that they throw up, they lie and lie and lie to you because they're sleazy scumbags and it isn't good enough ahead of time to tell you. Like Solaris or Stellaris, excuse me, not Solaris, Stellaris Galaxy Command didn't tell me ahead of time that it was another scumbag game didn't tell me it was basically Farm Bill with Starfleet. Um, They just don't – they're not up front. And that's why I have a profound new respect for casinos is they're up front about their sleaze. You know what you're getting. When you walk into a casino, you may deplore what they are, but you can't pretend to be shocked. (laughs) Yeah, well said. So, yeah, I've I've been getting really, really frustrated with mobile gaming, uh, and it angers me that so many companies have allowed themselves to be corrupted by the money, by the sheer amount of money that's being funneled in. Uh, And I get why you would do that. I, I perfectly understand why. But just because you're being bribed by idiot players to make these kinds of games doesn't make it a good thing. And I think you're doing damage to players. I think you're doing damage to yourself. And I think you're doing damage to gaming and game design because you are not innovating. You just jump into this arena. You set up what I read someone called a Skinner box, which is perfectly apt. And you just let people punch the little lever and dispense the little dopamine pellets into their brain so they get more addicted and, and lose their capacity to make rational judgments. I'm just sad, is, is really what I am. I'm offended, I'm angered, and I'm sad. It offends me as a game designer. And I know that's kind of me putting on airs, but... I really do. I design games, and I analyze the design of games. And if I see a bad design, I try to come up with and understand why it's bad and come up with a better design or come up with a different design just to see how it could go. And And this just pisses me off. I love video games. Love them. I love tabletop role-playing games. I love computer role-playing games. And I just am so pissed off that these people have – uh, crapped all over uh, the art of design and crapped all over gaming. It, it, <clears throat> angry red flames pouring through my head. Let's talk about <laughs> The Quiet Place before I start punching things.
1: Yes. So, as I was saying, uh, as I said at the top of the show, uh, theaters are open. Went to go see A Quiet Place, which actually was released last year, but Of course, didn't actually get released anywhere because nobody could go to the theater. Um, Do you remember the first one, Quiet Place? Of course. You want to do a quick recap? Do you remember... uh, remember Well, here's the
0: thing. When we reviewed the first Quiet Place, what I said was, is I had been tracking that script for two years before they released the movie. I had been reading that script uh, because I believe it was part of Hollywood's blacklist. Uh, And the blacklist, the blacklist, is not a blacklist. It's not things that Hollywood bans because they don't like the people. It's a list of the top, I believe, 100 scripts, 100 unproduced scripts every year. They're spec scripts. That means they're not being written by a studio's request. There's an indie uh script out there goes out writes a script and they're going around hollywood very few of them get made very few of them deserve to get made and most of them that get made aren't super successful but there are exceptions like uh jennifer's body um was a blacklist script um and the big movie, oh, about the pregnant chick that came out five, seven years ago, um, by Cody Diablo, who also did Jennifer's Body. Um, anyways, it was it was part of the blacklist. So occasionally scripts do get plucked off the blacklist and go into production. Well, this site, Script Shadow, um, Got a hold, gets a hold of these blacklist scripts because they're being passed around Hollywood. They're not hard to find if you're in the business. Um, and he did a review of what would eventually become The Quiet Place. So I knew a lot of the scenes. I knew the premise of the movie. And I knew these scenes were things I wanted to see on screen. I really wanted to see this script get made and I really wanted to watch it because they were scenes that were just You know, brilliant, and and how they layered up the danger was brilliant, and I was like, yes, I'm in, I'm in, I will pay to see this movie when it gets made, Uh, and then the office guy got attached, and he brought on board his wife, um, and they're both, you know, fairly well-liked, recognizable faces, so they went out, um, they got the movie made, and it came out, and I watched it, and I'm like, yes, ooh, I recognize that. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I'd been tracking it when it was just a script. I was tracking it while it was in production, uh, and I finally got to see it when it came out, and uh, I loved it. Because, you know, I, I've been looking forward to it for two years, and it had all the cool stuff that I wanted to see. It wasn't a perfect movie, but... Um, and uh, there were there were parts that, in the script, I thought, oh yeah, that's kind of clunky. I don't I don't think that'll necessarily work. And when you saw it in the movie, yeah, that part was kind of clunky and it didn't work. But it was a good movie, and I really enjoyed it. Um, so, Earth has been invaded by these alien monsters who can't see, but they track you by sound. And so the only way you can stay safe is by being quiet, um, absolutely silent, uh, or going to some place where the natural sound um, covers up your sounds. And in the quiet place, um, the mom is pregnant at the beginning of the movie. And because of an accident at home, they break something, and all these aliens come around their house at the worst possible time. And the kids are having to try to escape without making any noise, and the father is having to go out and try to rescue Uh, his daughter, and meanwhile, and this is what got me. This is what grabbed me about it. The mother has to go in the upstairs bathroom because she's going into labor, and she has to give birth while all these aliens are running around their farm. So you get to see all of the adaptations they've made in their lifestyle to be as quiet as possible. Um... You see the tension get ratcheted up and up and up, and then just when you think things can't get any worse, she goes into labor, and you're like, "How is she gonna? How is she gonna deliver this baby all by herself without all of these, you know, medical conveniences we take for granted? Without a doctor around, without, you know, anything? Get the sheets and boiling water." now nurse um because that's what we all know from movies right is is when it's time to give birth to a baby you need sheets and boiling water i don't know what the hell the boiling water is for it <laughs> you're supposed to dip the kid in it and wash him off i don't know that seems this seems really dangerous to me
1: yeah well it's it it really is a sort of tense setup for a survival horror scenario. And that's what made it so cool. The the fact that they had all these problems that are, you know, first world people having third world problems in middle of this invasion where they cannot make a sound. Um, and I thought, like, the movie, was, the, you know, the plot was okay, but the all the silent scenes were really well done.
0: They were just so tense. That when noise finally happened, you would, like, literally jump out of your seat just because, oh, you were so keyed up from all the silence up to that point. You were just like, God, because you knew how dangerous it was. They took very good care to show you how dangerous the noise
1: was. So... At the end of that one, yeah, the you know the the noble father is uh, died protecting his children, and the mother's given birth to the baby, and everybody survived. And at the end, they've sort of figured out a weakness in the monsters that allows them to kill them. So that's where the sequel picks up. Now, you haven't seen part two yet, have you? I have not. uh, I can't get out the theaters. Right. I'll, 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 uh, this is a relatively spoiler free one. The, uh, the parts you saw in the trailer with aliens attacking a town, that's a flashback to the day of the invasion so that they can introduce a character or two that they, the, family can interact with in this film. And it, it, it's a really satisfying sequel for the audience because it picks up right where they left off after, after doing that quick flashback. And so we've got this family, they've, they've got the ability to kill one of these things if it gets close enough for them to, you know, play the sound and, but they're, you know, they're down the father and they've got this little baby, right? So, okay, what do we do? What, what do we do next? And if you know, you're watching the first movie, you're like, okay, great. So what are they going to do now for food? Are they going to find other people? Are they going to figure out a way to communicate this weakness to the rest of the world and maybe turn back, Uh, the tide because that's, I don't know about you. That's what I wanted in a sequel. I wanted them to just drive around with the good old boys with giant speakers on a big truck, blaring that sound and just gunning down all the monsters. Spoiler that does not happen. Sorry to disappoint you. Um, But yeah, it's a great sequel because it picks up right where they left off and we say, okay, what happens next? Literally what happens the next day? And they introduce uh, an, another survivor played by Cillian Murphy. Uh,
0: he's a, really a great cool
1: character actor. actor. Great character actor. He's, he's got those piercing blue eyes. Um, and, of course, in the U.S., he became famous for 28 Days Later. The, uh, because of the discovery of the way to kill them, the... Absolute silence and tension is mitigated. So which is okay, what it just ends up being a different movie. Let me let me finish. The noises will bring the monsters, but of course, if the family can fight back, then it's not as scary. And so, the challenges in this film become more about how do you know how do we get the food and things that we need with without putting us at unnecessary risk uh, because they don't have enough ammo to just gun down the whole alien population, right? Uh, the other thing is is that the Uh, daughter is inspired by her father. And they make that very clear. If you missed the first movie, the recap on day one actually suffices. Uh, It was a really clever way to A, introduce a new character and B, um, set the stage for anybody who didn't watch the first part. She's inspired by her dad to try to find other survivors, and, you know, get this weapon into everybody's hands. So, don't be disappointed, but what follows is a good but typical post-apocalyptic story. Because the threat of the silence is mitigated, it's still there because... Uh, circumstances forces the family to split up. There's a couple characters in one place, a couple of characters in another place, and one character's in the third place. And so they don't all have the ability to kill the monsters, but they all have something very vital to do uh, to keep everybody alive. Uh, so that adds to the tension. And you'll see some post-apocalyptic movie tropes visited in this story. But the... The nature of the monsters, the requirement of silence, and the, uh, the set, like that, that haunted New York state countryside. Um, that sort of north, um, not quite the Adirondacks, but uh, just north of Pennsylvania. That sort of, that haunted countryside and all the ruins and things. And the other characters they encounter and the performance of the actors really make it an enjoyable post-apocalyptic movie. Um, So going into A Quiet Place Part Two, uh, I would say if you thought that doesn't make sense, they know how to kill the monsters, what's this one going to be scary about? And the answer is they did a good... Um, I, I I hate to damn with faint praise by say paint by numbers, but there's it's a it's a standard sort of post apocalyptic survival tale, with the characters that you know from the first film, and the aliens that are unlike any other alien or zombie movie that you've ever seen. Uh, that's how I felt. Without getting into spoilers, I it was gr- it was fun to watch. Uh, good action, great character moments, uh, particularly for the new character, for Cillian Murphy's character, uh, because they have to immediately drop in a new um, uh, father figure, for lack of a better word. Uh, he, he doesn't play the role of father figure, but he plays the role of the um, you know tough guy who's got to put himself out there and risk his neck and kill aliens and so on and so forth. Um, and the kids the two uh, the two children are traumatized by all the aliens and the death of their father that they have great moments you know their the climax of their individual stories near the end is really satisfying uh, for both of them. Uh, so, it sounds like I'm gushing. Maybe it's because of the Darth of movies, but actually I think it was a good movie and it's worth your time and money. But what do you think? Have I wet your appetite, Mr. Warpig?
0: Oh, I, I was always going to see this movie. The first movie, you know, knowing about the script bought me into the first movie. They that That's what earned that first movie. It's viewing and watching the first movie is what bought me into this second. Now, if, you know, if I ended up hating the second, if it was just absolute trash then i probably wouldn't go watch a third but i was always gonna go see this movie uh the first movie pretty much ensured that
1: yeah well i think you'll love it I but yes it.
0: nothing that you have said makes me think oh that's disappointing i shouldn't go see this
1: <laughs> yeah i i'm glad they made this movie because like i said before if i made the movie like someone said in chat it would be aliens it would be like they'll just they'll just meet up with a survivor, or one of the local good old boys. We'll put the speakers on the on the truck and just go around um, hooting and hollering and killing all the aliens that come to get you, right? Um, that, maybe that's the gamer in me, but uh, but the movie they made here is really good. They managed to get a great uh, post-apocalyptic uh, tale out of it. Don't get me wrong
0: that uh, pickup truck movie sounds awesome <laughs> right uh it's it sounds like uh parts of metro 2033 um yeah i'd love to see a movie like that actually i think parts of the resident evil franchise were like that
1: <laughs> yeah
0: Uh, So, yeah, if they did that for the third one, I wouldn't mind at all. (laughs) No, I'm down. I want to go see it as soon as I can exit my current circumstances.
1: I recommend it. If it ever gets on streaming, see it. If, If you do get a chance to see it in the theater... Uh, sometime in the future, do it. It's a good popcorn flick too.
0: All right, so big, big recommend energy
1: on a quiet place too. Oh yeah, when when Dornell recommends what is essentially a zombie movie, then you're it's on.
0: By the way, did I mention that I had found a zombie
1: RPG? Yeah, I think you did.
0: I actually found one. It's on iOS. It's called Over Live. Um, And the reason why I wanted to bring it up is because it has a great mechanic. We're out of time, but uh, we can take four or five minutes because from a game design perspective, it's really cool. Let's hear it. You fight zombies, so you're in a... You know, post-apocalyptic city, it's been destroyed. There aren't very many people, but there's lots and lots of zombies. And the nuclear power plant that's just just down the road is going to blow up in uh, a limited amount of time. So you have that limited amount of time to find a way out of the city. Um. When you get in combat, your health bar gets depleted. When you die, the game isn't over. You go back to your rooms and have to spend your limited time healing up. Because in the game, it doesn't matter whether you die or not. It matters whether you get out of the sea or not. And it keeps track of time really strictly like uh, Gygaxian D&D. Like, every time you search, it ticks off more time. Uh, every time you stop to train, if you want to train up a skill, it ticks off more time. Um and it, the game by design limits you to being unable to do everything there is to do in a city on one normal difficulty playthrough. It's an RPG you have nine or twelve skills, computers and firearms and you know grapple so on and so forth um But uh, it's interesting. It was fun. The random events were cool. There were little mysteries uh, posted all about. And it was uh, worth the time I spent. I, I played it on unlimited. Uh, which meant I had all the time I wanted and it took me 300 in-game days to finish it. And even then, I there were vast swaths of the game that I wasn't able to unlock because of previous decisions or things that happened. Um, basically, I had a bunch of people who were crying for help uh and i was healing up and i couldn't help them and they got eaten by zombies and so i missed a, i missed a whole bunch of content because i got taken down at the wrong time so i just think that's an interesting play mechanic where if the end of the game is actually a timer it doesn't matter whether your character lives or dies. Uh, it's just death is another way of marking off. Uh, or in this case, it's actually getting wounded to zero and then dragging yourself back to your home base, barely alive, and resting until you're healed. Um, is just another way of marking off time until you can get back on your feet and go out and do stuff again. thought that was an interesting mechanic. So I'd recommend it if you want to. uh, And it may be available on other platforms. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying I have an Apple iPad, and that's where I played it. Because I bought Apple Things.
1: Cause they what's, the, uh, what's the name of it? Over Live.
0: And it's uh, obviously a bargain game. The art is, you know, a little bit rough. Um, but it at least is trying something new. And it was the one game out of all those games I tried that is not a... Micro payment sucking hellhole, and uh, there are no micro transactions, there is no hurry up mechanic, it is not trying to copy all these other mini, all these other mobile gaming scumbag cash grab games.
1: Okay. And I enjoyed it. so I'm glad you finally found what you wanted.
0: Yeah. That's it for me today.
1: Yeah, all said. Uh, programming, no? I, I don't know if 100% on for next week. Next week's July 4th weekend.
0: Yes. I We're, we're going to be missing next week. Support the July folks. Actually, it's the 2nd of July, but we're still not going to be here.
1: We'll be celebrating. We're going to be launching fireworks all week. Um, Okay, cool. Well, that settles that. I don't have anything else to say. It was uh, fun hanging out with you today and everybody in chat, so I do appreciate everybody uh, hanging out, making for a lively chat. I'm glad you guys enjoyed the show, and I do hope everybody listening later had a great time. Uh, This is uh, Dornal signing off for this week. Daddy War Pig, it's all you.
0: Um, I just want to remind everybody, you know, it is the best way to view this show is to come in and listen live, participate in the chat. Um, We had a a great discussion about uh, Nintendo Entertainment System emulators and Game Boy Advance emulators. We also had a great discussion about, oddly enough, Dracula, the Dracula novel, the Dracula film and stage adaptations uh, I learned some stuff about the stage adaptations and about Dracula itself. Did you know that there are two characters usually left out of film adaptations, including a crazy English lawyer who uses a kukri and a uh, Texan gunslinger who delays Dracula with a huge bowie knife, um, who just sound too awesome to leave out of the movies, that's a travesty of justice, so I agree with whoever said that in the chat, that is a travesty, because you just want to see that, you want to see Dracula impaled on a Bowie night and a Kukri, that's awesome, um, so yeah, our, our chat gets up to talking about all kinds of awesome things, Uh, So come and listen live and you can participate in the chat, Uh, or if you go to YouTube.com slash GeekGab, YouTube.com slash GeekGab, uh, and listen to the episode uh, as it's been archived, you can read the chat uh, right along with the episode and uh, see what kind of amazing and outstanding people are fans of GeekGab. But YouTube is not the only way you can listen to the show. You can catch us on SoundCloud.com, on the Google Play Store, and on the Apple iTunes Store. Just do a search for Gab, and we are there. Ladies and gentlemen, we are signing off for today, but don't you worry, don't you fret, we will be back.